verses 14 through 21. We'll be reading out of King James. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, which thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that thine shame and thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. good to be with you all once again this afternoon and as we've just read I invite you to open to Revelation chapter 3 uh, where we'll be looking at this letter to the Laodiceans. Often when we talk about the letters to the seven churches uh, we, we point out that there are two letters, the letters to Smyrna and Philadelphia in which the Lord has nothing bad at all to say about those churches. And then we note that there's one church, uh, the letter to Sardis, where the Lord has exactly one maybe good thing to say, that they still have some who have not soiled their garments. And then we get to Laodicea, and we frequently point out uh, that the, the letter to Laodicea, the Lord has nothing good to say to them. All of it is, this is what you've done wrong, this is what you've done wrong, you think this, no, you're really this, you need to repent. I, I, I want to suggest that perhaps maybe we need to take another look at the, this letter. Because to me, even though there is no explicit commendation where the Lord says, you've done this well. You know, he, tells, he tells Ephesus about you know, their, their faithfulness and their adherence to doctrine and their testing of false teachers. You know, he talks, you know, has all these great things to say about these other congregations. Never says anything directly about Laodicea. But I think there is some good news for Laodicea in this letter. And in talking about the good news that Jesus has for Laodicea, 
I want to start with the very fact that there was even a letter written to Laodicea. The fact that Jesus wanted John to write a letter to, letter to them says that he still saw them. Had Laodicea been a church where the people were beyond all hope, they were done. Why even bother writing a letter? Why even bother saying something to them if there's nothing to be said? And so, so we begin with that idea. The very fact that, that Jesus had John take the time to write this letter to them, that they were going to receive a copy of this book of Revelation. So they would know what was going to happen. It says that Jesus still saw them. As bad as things were, he still saw them. And Sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus still sees us. Because, let's face it, sometimes things in life get pretty bad. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes those bad things are just the circumstances of life. Sometimes those bad things are the consequences of sin. And it's easy to feel like we are beyond Jesus seeing us. I'm reminded of the, the, the parable of the, the lost son in Luke 15. When it says in the text when, that when he, came, he comes to his senses, decides to return home. And when he was still a long ways off, the father saw him and came running to him. Now, I, I always make the point that in the, in the first century, family patriarchs did not run. It was undignified, it was beneath them. This father ran to his son that he saw a long ways in the distance. He, did, he didn't wait for his son to get all the way up to the door before he acknowledged his existence. No matter how bad things are, no matter how bad the circumstances of life are, no matter how deep into sin we've gotten, Jesus still sees us and he still cares about us, just like Jesus still cared about the Laodiceans. We, we read that past, those, those next couple of verses in verses 15 and 16. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold 
or hot. Now, we often get in this, what, what, what are we talking about with cold, hot, lukewarm? It says, because you're lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Uh, a lot of times we talk about hot being the really good thing and cold being the really bad thing, and, and, and you're somewhere in between. That's, I don't think contextually that's what's going on here. Um, Laodicea, as a region, as a city, uh, was, was known for a couple of things. You had the, the, the cool water coming from the Roman aqueducts, and you also had the hot springs that were sometimes used for medicinal purposes. And so you had cool and refreshing, and you had hot and healing. And Jesus says, you're neither of those things. Uh, the thing about how, how do you get to be lukewarm? Well, you've, you've assumed the ambient temperature of the environment. There's nothing, you're not having an impact on anything. I wish you were having some kind of impact on things. But the fact that Jesus even says that, says, I wish, I wish you were cold or hot. He wanted them to be productive. He cared about them being productive. He wasn't writing them off. Now, you have some very potentially harsh language here. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. There's, there is some danger here for them. But there's also still a sense of, I wish things were different than they were right now because I care about you. I love you. What's interesting is that the potentially harsher thing was said to one of the, I guess you say, the, be, the, the, the churches that was doing better. When he ta talks about Ephesus and he commends them for their works and their labor and their endurance, you can't endure evil people. It says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you have had at first. And it says, repent and do the works you did at first. And then otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from, from its place. I think that's on the same level here as I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. But also think about this side of it. And more of the God as our Father side of it when it comes to discipline. Why do parents discipline their children? Now, you ask the children, they'll say because, it's their, because parents are cruel, unrelenting taskmasters. Um, but it's because we love our children and we want them to do well. Jesus still cares about the Laodiceans. He wants them to do well, and so there's some discipline involved. says, I wish you were cold or hot. I, I wish, I wish this were different. But, that's, but it's good for them that Jesus still cares about them. The other good thing, or an, another good thing, 
for them. Is we see that Jesus is still seeing problems they can't see. This, this, what's said here in verse 17. I'm rich. You, you, you say, I, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. The, the thing about, again, going back to Laodicea as a city. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Uh, there was an earthquake in about the middle of the first century and there were some in that region, and there were some of the cities in that region that were just about destroyed, and Rome had to step in and oversee, their, oversee and subsidize and finance their reconstruction. Laodicea said, no thank you, and took care of it themselves. They were on a major trade route, they had a lot of very unique industries. Uh, there were, uh, in particular, about three things that they were known for. Um, they were known as a medical center. They were known, uh, and, uh, and in fact, one of the things they were known for, aside from hot springs, was there was some kind of ISAV that they produced. They were known for, in that, in that area, there were some uh, black sheep that produced a very high quality wool uh, that fetched a pretty good price on the open market. And, and so they're, they're, they're doing all these things. They have all this industry, they have all this wealth. And so they say, well, I, I, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and I need nothing. Almost as if the Laodiceans were saying, you know, I can just I can throw enough money to take care of my problems. Just just what what, what I need to write the check out for to, to, to take care of this problem. And he says, You don't realize. You don't realize you you are truly wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That, that nice wool that makes those expensive clothes, yeah, doesn't do you a bit of good. The eye salve that, that, that helps to see doesn't do you a bit of good. All that money you have, not doing you any good. You still have problems and you just, you can't see them. But Jesus wants them to understand that they have problems. Consider if, if Jesus had just let them kind of stumble on blindly into the darkness, not doing what they needed to do, not being what they needed to be. That would have been bad for them. I mean, sure, Jesus had every right to say you should have known this. But Jesus has taken the time to tell them, you, you have these problems. How many times do we go through life not realizing all the problems that we have? Not realizing 
that we put our, you know, and, and I know this is trivial, but you know, essentially we've not realizing we put our shirt on backwards. We're not realizing, you know, if we're in our car, we've got a taillight out. Or, or, until somebody comes along and tells us, hey, you have this issue. When it comes to spiritual things, how many times do we have problems in our lives and we don't realize that we have problems until we open God's Word and it's right there. Or somebody stands up here and preaches from God's Word. And it's, oh, I have a problem. We talk about Laodicea the, or the letter to the Laodiceans being nothing but bad things, nothing but, but you've done this wrong and you've done this wrong and you've got this problem and unless you do this, this is going to happen. But isn't in some ways that kind of like the Bible itself where the Bible, the first, the first thing the Bible has to do is convince us we have a problem. I mean, we go back to Genesis and we have the account of creation and we find out about this great world that God made. And the next thing we find out is, well, man really made a mess of it. We get to, you know, the letter to the Romans. And the first thing Paul has to do is disabuse the Romans of any notion that they themselves have an inherent righteousness that they have earned. Uh, the, the, the beginning of, of chapter 2 was mentioned this morning in the Bible class period. And, you know, and, and the context of, uh, of that is Paul has gotten through talking about how bad those people out in the world are. How they refuse, you know, the, how God's wrath is revealed on the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who, who, who choose not to acknowledge God or be grateful to Him and noting how you know, that has led to this and it's led to these sins and you've got this whole list of things that people do and those people are deserving of death for doing them. And, and I often imagine that when, when Paul's letter was originally read to the, to the brethren in Rome, that as they were hearing what we know of as chapter 1, they were like, yeah, that's right, preach it, amen! And then, the, and then we get to chapter 2. And he says, therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. The brethren in Rome had problems they didn't realize they had, and it was Paul's job to 
lift the wool from their eyes. And it's what Jesus is doing here for the Laodiceans is he is lifting the wool from their eyes and showing them the problems that they have that they can't see because they're blinded by the world around them. They are blinded by their wealth. They are blinded by their pride. They are blinded by all the things going on. And Jesus punches through all that and says, here's the, so- here's the real story. And that's good news. Because you can't fix what you don't know is wrong. And the next bit of good news was that Jesus still had a solution for them. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Don't need to go to the, don't need to go to the Laodicean banks. You can come to me. White clothes. Black, con- contrast it with the black sheep. White clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Jesus still had their solution. Jesus still was their solution. Jesus says, you, you have all these problems going on. I can help. I can make this better. I can fix this. If you come to me for it. Going back to the prodigal son. At the beginning of the parable, as it would seem, the son probably felt that the father was the problem. After all, the father's holding on to all the wealth, all the money. And so the son tells the father, let me have my inheritance. Which, of course, if you're reading between the lines, is basically the son wishing the father dead already. But that's a whole other thing. And then he gets out in the world. And all of a sudden, that wealth doesn't go as far as it used to. And he is reduced to eating pig slop. And the father goes from being the problem to being the solution. Because even the servants, he says, even the servants in my father's house have bread enough to eat. It's easy for us sometimes in life, one, to think that the world has all the answers. If I just, just live this way, everything will be great. And then something happens and, and, well, things don't go so well. Or easy to think that, you know, I just weren't trying so hard to follow God. 
my life would be a lot easier. Wouldn't have to fool with going to church four hours a week. It's four hours I'd get back. A little bit of extra sleep on Sunday, although I will tell you whether or not we're going to church on Sunday has no impact on my sleep these days. Um, Because Danielle generally wakes up about 6.15. It's even worse in central time. Um, but, but yeah, it's, I wouldn't have all these pressures on my life if I didn't have to try and follow this book. Just like we talked about this morning, realizing the superiority of God's way, we realize, you know, life lived according to this book wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And in fact, if I kept living life according to this book, I might not be in the fix I'm in. Jesus is still the solution. He was the solution for the Odysseans. He is the solution for us. I hear about some of the problems that people I know have. And and, and at risk of sounding like the Pharisee in Acts 18, you do sometimes... It's not that thank God that I am not like these other people, but... Thank God that you've given thank God that you've get, that he has given us a way that we don't have to go through a lot of those things. Because, because God has given us the solution to life through his son. And as we keep going through this letter, one of the most encouraging things is that Jesus still wants fellowship with them. He says, beginning verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Sharing a meal was often considered one of the greatest acts of hospitality and fellowship. To the point where, if you go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul is dealing with the man who has his father's wife, he he says of those who live an unruly lifestyle, not even to eat with them. And so the idea of I will eat, come into him and eat with him and he with me is a symbol of the, symbol of the fellowship that Jesus wants with the Laodiceans. But he says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. And 
it, a lot of times we use that, that statement. Uh, we actually have imitation songs, whole imitation songs written around that statement. Uh, who at the door is standing and, and, uh, and so on. And, 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 and that initial idea is not really what this verse is about. It's really that these are people, the Laodiceans have already come to Jesus. But are they going to let Jesus be an actual, real part of their lives? Instead, Jesus is out there knocking. Are they going to are they going to come to him and have fellowship with him? And on the same note, it's very sometimes it's very easy for us where okay, we 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 do, we come to Jesus, we where we we confess him as our, our as the Son of God, we we say we're repenting of our sins, we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And then what? Is he a part of our lives? Because he wants fellowship with us too. But is he, are we willing to have that fellowship with him? Not just a matter of, of coming here a certain number of times or meeting wherever, you know, but, but, but actually having fellowship. Being a Christian is more than a business relationship. Business relationship, you go, you have your meeting, maybe you eat lunch later and then you're done. That's not the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with us. In a sense, he wants the kind of relationship we sometimes see with, with, with kids who grow up together where they're always at each other's house and they're always doing everything together and you can't hardly tell the two of them apart. And half the time, the parents of one refers to, to, to the others as their kid. Is that the kind of relationship we have with Jesus? Is that the kind of fellowship we have with Jesus? And then perhaps the best news of all from this letter is that Jesus still offers victory. When he, he says, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. As bad as things seem to be in Laodicea, Jesus was not offering a consolation prize. He was not saying, okay, well, I'll, 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 let, you, I'll, I'll let you live on, in, in the area around the, the, the New Jerusalem. 
I, I won't let you live in the new Jerusalem, but you can live just outside the new Jerusalem. How about that? That's not what he said. To the one who conquers, he says, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as, in the same way, that he conquered and sat down with his father on his throne. Was Jesus ascending to the Father and sitting on the throne a consolation prize? No. And for the Laodiceans, Jesus wasn't offering a consolation prize. He was offering victory. No matter how bad things got for the Laodiceans, no matter how bad things get for us, Jesus still offers victory victory <clears throat> we talked this morning in class about the the parable of the of the landowner with the servants and paying the different ones different wages or actually the paying different workers who work different hours the same wage really he didn't say well you only worked one hour so you're only going to get one twelfth of a denarius no, he gave everybody a denarius. Everybody got victory. He's not going to look at us in the judgment and say, well, I know you finally came to your senses, but because you spent 40 years over here doing whatever you wanted, I'm only going to give you half of heaven. You get to, you get to join the Laodiceans on the, outs, on the outskirts of the, of the New Jerusalem. That's not what he says. He is offering victory. Complete and total victory. If we will follow him. Real quick as we close, it's an application. One big application we started with is that Jesus sees us. There's a whole lot of ideas about God and God's nature, and you, know, you get to some of the ideas that suggest that, well, God is somehow just removed from his creation doesn't see anything, doesn't care about anything. That's not the way it works. God sees us. Jesus sees us and he cares about us. And so no matter how bad things get, we have that bit of hope and that bit of comfort. Of course, it's also a little uncomfortable because he also sees us when we're not doing what we should be doing. But he, but he still sees us. He still cares about us. He still wants good for us. And as long as we have life, victory is always possible. There's always a way to victory.
and then maybe turning our view outward toward others. Because while Jesus offers victory, sometimes we don't. We're real good at writing people off when we think they've crossed one too many lines. And so, if Jesus doesn't give up on people, neither should we. If Jesus is willing to to offer fellowship with people, we need to give the same opportunity ourselves. As you think about your life, where are you in your need for Jesus? The song we're getting ready to sing, Just As I Am, okay. the song we're getting ready to sing, Just As I Am, is one that, you know, you think about it, no matter how bad things are in my life, no matter what's wrong with me, no matter what issues I have, and, and, and the author of Just As I Am actually had a lot of medical issues going on. Um, we can still come to Jesus. There's actually another verse that's not in this hymnal. It's taken almost directly from this letter. Just as I am poor, wretched, blind. And just talking about, if I remember the rest of the verse, the second part of the verse correctly, it's, yea, all I need in thee I find. O Lamb of God, I come. No matter how bad things are for us, we can still come just as we are. Now we're going to leave changed, but we can come just as we are. If we can help you come to Jesus, let us know as we stand and as we sing.